How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me slash growth. That's hbs.me slash growth. Welcome back to Locked on Bucks presented by Brew.com. I'm Frank Madden. I'm joined, as always, by Eric Name. Eric, how are you doing? Fantastic. How are you, Frank? Good. We're... uh we're recording today with a, a special guest, uh, someone who I've eagerly read for many years, actually. Um, Brett Coromenis, who writes for Real GM, uh, previously of, of Grantland and Sports on Earth. And I don't know, I feel like Brett's been around the Bucks blogosphere, the NBA blogosphere, writing great stuff, insightful stuff for a long time. Brett, how you doing? I'm doing good, guys. How are you? Good. And uh, we're recording via, this is the, not that anybody listening cares, we're recording via via I have Google Hangout this week, which um, I hope everybody appreciates. We spent like a half hour trying to get this to work over <laughs> Skype, so really it's a labor of love this week, and hope, hopefully, hopefully the audio quality is is good. Or uh, it it seems okay, but or it's just um, three idiots that anyway, can't figure anything out. I'll leave that one. It seemed like we were doing everything right, but anyway. Um, it is August, but uh, Brett has been doing uh, a bunch of stuff at Real GM. And um, for some background, Brett, I think people who, who read Brett um, may know that uh, when you read him, uh, he actually knows stuff about basketball, which uh, is is why I like to read him. And uh, he gets into the tactics and and kind of offensive defensive philosophy stuff, which which is fun and you know often obscured a little bit when we just sort of. Yell and and scream about how the Bucks should be you know better at this or that. Um, so I think if you didn't read Brett's post this week, we'll get into it a little bit. We'll link to it um, in in the post, obviously. But uh, a lot of Brett, what you wrote this past week, uh, or maybe it was a couple weeks ago, at Real GM um, was uh, starting with kind of the offensive side of the basketball, and you talked a little bit about um, the Bucks, you know, especially early in the season with Greg Monroe and, and really kind of picking up on stuff they did with Zaza Pachulia previously. They uh, focused a lot of their offense around these these sets that are called push or corner series where you're getting the ball to a, a big guy sort of on the wing or, or elbow, kind of depending on how uh, what kind of position you can get. But um, you thought that that probably was not necessarily the, the best usage of uh, of the Bucks' kind of overall talent, and um, maybe there's some things they can do better. Can you talk maybe a little bit about uh, when you watched the Bucks last season, kind of what you thought they could be doing maybe a little bit differently from, from what they did or maybe what they were doing well um, that they could build on next season? Well, uh, well, keep in mind, I, I have zero NBA coaching wins to my credit, so it's not like I necessarily would know any better than these guys do. But, uh, you know, w- when I watch them, you know, every, everybody, you know, everybody, when you get out of the coaching side, you kind of come up with your own philosophies and you're, you're molded by someone and you kind of have a, a general view of how you think the game should be played. Um, you know, for me, I grew up uh, on Mike D'Antoni's teams and, you know, playing fast and playing open, lots of, lots of shooting, lots of pick and roll, stuff like that. Um, so it kind of, it kind of hurt my soul every time I'd flip on a Bucks game and I'd see these, these great athletic guys, young kids that can run up and down the floor and finish in transition and, um, you know, coach kids holding them up and they're, they're calling sets where they're throwing into the elbow and turning them into cutters and stuff. Um, you know, I, I think what they were is, um, you know, and this is true of a lot of teams, 
Um, sometimes you have a vision going in of what you want the team to be, um, and sometimes that vision is just that you have a certain philosophy and you're going to try to impose it on your personnel. Um, usually the best coaches go the other way as they figure out what their personnel is and then they try to suit their system to exactly what, you know, augments their strengths and, and minimizes their weaknesses. Um, and I think, you know, for the last year, you know, especially early in the season last year, the Bucks were trying to figure out what they were. Um, you know, they, you know, Carter, Mike Carter Williams struggling as a point guard. Um, you know, Chris Middleton had, had really come out of nowhere to be, you know, a big focal point of the offense. Um, obviously Jabari lost a season to the ACL tear, so you didn't know you had there. Um, Giannis from the beginning has been a kid that you had no idea, um, what he was going to be. Um, and so, you know, I don't, I don't want to be too hard on him when I say I don't agree with what they did. Um, you know, cause sometimes you just, you just have to learn organically. You have to figure it out kind of through trial and error. Um, and I think what they did is they, you know, they got Monroe and they had Zaza last year who's a great passer and a trusted vet. And so they kind of wanted to try to build a system that ran through those guys instead of, you know, these younger guys that were kind of coming up. Um, you know, what it did is, is the push corner stuff is, you know, it's just, a, it's basically you throw it to the elbow and then a series of cuts in the, in the corner of the strong side kind of trigger the offense. So, you know, you can hit the cutters. They can come back off for a, a handoff. You can, you know, get into some stuff on the other side. Um, but it's definitely very much, a, you know, a, a half court type system where you got to walk it up. You got to enter it into the big. Um, you know, allows the defense to load up a little bit. Um, and like I wrote in the, in the post is, is that's a way to run stuff like that. It's a way to curtail freedom. Um, and you know, when you got a lot of young guys and you give them freedom, um, you know, anybody who has kids, uh, would know the same thing. You give your kids freedom, they're going to tear up their house. Um, you know, and basketball court, it's going to be, they're going to take some bad shots. They're going to make some bad mistakes. It's very, it's very difficult, especially in the short shelf life of the NBA. Um, to try to go through three, four, five months, a year of letting young guys basically screw up um, and trying to teach them how to deal with the freedom, you know, and it's very easy to kind of restrict it. Um, and that's kind of what the push offense was to me. Um, so, you know, I, I don't have a job to lose as an NBA head coach, so it's easy for me to say, man, I would have played with more, I would have played with more pace, I would have let them go a little bit, I would have run more simple stuff that was more read-based. Um, but, again, I, you know, I had nothing to lose. Um, you know, and I think in some ways that structure is, is good, you know, it teaches guys because at some point as you guys watch, as, as everybody watches when you get deep into the playoffs, you know, you do have to execute in the half court. Things naturally do kind of slow down um, in the playoffs when it becomes more of a grind and the tempo slows and the possessions become more crucial and, and people tighten up. You know, you got to be able to run your stuff. Um, but I think, you know, over the base of 82 games, what they were doing just wasn't what was best for everybody. Um, you know, and they, they had that little set too where they had Chris Middleton had the ball in their hands. Um, you know, and that, that always kind of I thought was interesting from the standpoint that at that point I think he was the only consistent outside shooter they had on the team. Um, and they took all of that away by putting the ball in his hands. So it was basically Chris Middleton and four guys that couldn't spread the floor. Um, so you took your one asset and he was pretty good, you know, when they started putting him in some pick and rolls and running him off screens and some post up stuff and some ISO stuff. Um, but he wasn't great. Not good enough that you could excuse him from playing him off the ball where he could have provided you a little bit of spacing. Um, and I think that was, that was the thing that I was maybe most critical of is it, it just didn't seem like they sensed where their personnel was best used and they weren't really quick enough to adapt. And that, that doesn't mean that, you know, after one game when something doesn't work, they needed to change it. But I think, you know, after a training camp and after 10 games into the season, you should start getting a feel of what things are really going to be able to, you're able to hang your hat on what things aren't going to work. 
And, you know, they really kind of stubbornly stuck with some stuff. And, uh, and again, the dynamics of, of being in that locker room versus, you know, where we sit watching the game when, you know, your owner gives Greg Monroe that much money, he doesn't want to see him sit on the, on the baseline waiting for drop off passes. He wants to see him with the ball. Um, and Greg Monroe, when he gets the big contract and he, he's going to have an impact in the locker room, he's not going to want to be marginalized. And so you got to tread carefully with ego and, and how players are perceived because, you know, we don't think that stuff should be important. We should say, oh, this guy's get paid a ton of money. He should, but everybody has ego. We all have ego in our jobs. They have it in theirs. The coaching staff has theirs and you don't know what directors are coming from the front office and ownership. Um, but when it came down to how all that stuff came into the court, I just really feel like that type of system was not going to make the best of all the, all the players that are going to be their core group, the Middleton, the Parker, Jabbar, or Giannis trio. Um, those guys needed to do other stuff to, to bring out the best in their games. And you kind of saw that, you know, as they evolved over the season with, with Giannis playing point guard. I think you had a post in February. Um, the, uh, the use of Middleton as a primary ball handler when he was often the only shooter on the court. And, you know, we saw it too where they would post him up sometimes and, and he would have, you know, a height advantage. And sometimes that's, you know, very reasonable ways to use him sort of in, in a vacuum. But when you think about it in the context of, of an entire rotation and, uh, like you said, a lack of, you know, anybody else who can shoot on the court, it, it is sort of weird, you know, when you're building, you know, your offense, especially maybe like that December, January time frame, it felt like there were a lot of sets where, you know, Chris Middleton was initiating, running pick and roll, doing stuff, and they're all on. So you can kind of understand, you know, it was actually more, made him more impressive that he was good in that scenario because I think they were pretty successful with that in spite of the fact that really the, you know, the, the defenses could obviously collapse much more than usual. And I think the only other point I make, I think it's interesting because I think I was looking at um, some of the transition numbers before and after the All-Star break, and it seemed like, you know, what you were saying, the the number of elbow touches they had before and after the All-Star break, they went down a little bit. The the uh, transition numbers went up way, you know, kind of went way up. I think it was like 12.7 fast break points per game before the All-Star break, around 17 after the All-Star break. So it did seem kind of point Giannis focal point uh, um, that there was that transition a little bit and saying like, okay, you know what, like, just give the ball to these guys. Let's just run, push the tempo. Um, you know, we talked a lot about uh, them trying to make, you know, get the ball to Giannis sort of after every rebound and, and see if they could push the ball in transition. So it seemed like, you know, a lot of kind of what you raised were, were things that they did try to do a bit uh, over the course of the season. And um, obviously with Greg Monroe coming off the bench as well, that obviously sort of changed um, the dynamic a fair bit as far as, you know, who who demanded touch it going into uh going into that second half of the season and obviously it seemed like there was more kind of you know Giannis pick and roll kind of you know Giannis waving <laughs> it was kind of funny at times you know Giannis would sort of like get in there and sort of like stand 30 feet from the hoop and just start kind of waving his arms at people and I was like okay I don't know if this is really great offense um but it seemed like at least the ball was was getting to to guys who um who maybe were, were, you know, exploring things a little bit, maybe it was a little more freewheeling at times. Um, and to your point of, of trying to figure out what you have, I think, you know, certainly that, that 28 game sample after the all-star break was, was definitely a, a period where the Bucks got to figure out what they have. Um, but Eric, I think I interrupted you there. No, I was just going to say one of the things I was kind of thinking about as Brett was talking was, the fact that you have so many young guys and and part of me wonders maybe this would be a good question for you Brett is if you have a ton of young guys and you're trying to do more spursy warriors read type action do you kind of get concerned about overloading a young guy mentally like maybe he can't handle 
all these new reads that he has to make and all of that from a mental standpoint? Yeah, I mean, that, that definitely is an issue. I, I mean, um, you know, I think what the fear is is more that they're just going to, they're just not going to be able to play that way. Um, you know, I mean, I, I don't mean to, to belittle college basketball, but it, it is such, um, a stark contrast in terms of the nuance that these guys got to encounter. Um, you know, we do, we do, we're involved a little bit in the pre-draft process. Um, you know, so, so young guys coming in, transitioning their games to the professional level. Um, and sometimes it, it's, it's shocking, uh, the things that, that they don't know at that point. Um, and the things that they need to learn and understand about the professional level that they just would never be able to experience because of the differences in the competition level. Um, so that, that's definitely true. Um, you know, not, not as much necessarily even overloading, but, you know, uh, some of these guys aren't exactly, you know, Mensa members. Um, so they just may not get it. So you get broken plays, you get guys standing in the wrong spot. Um, and, and that's the kind of stuff that drives a coach crazy. Um, you know, and it definitely takes years of, of continuity. It takes patience. And, and, and that word continuity just doesn't seem to exist very much in the NBA anymore. Um, there's so much turnover and there's so much change. Um, and we're talking about young rosters and you're talking about having to win in a, in a couple of years or you're going to get fired as a coach. Um, you know, it makes you, it, it makes you become very results oriented instead of process oriented. And, and so as much as we love the Spurs and they're, they've been a model for so long about what has been good about basketball, um, you know, Greg Popovich has been operating with, uh, you know, an, an air of invincibility for a really long time. He knows he's not going anywhere unless he wants to go. Um, and so that gives him the opportunity to kind of put that stuff in. And, and he also has a, a hand in, in the personnel and, and who they're bringing in. So he can craft the system. And um, because, it, you know, because of the amount he has invested in, and the security that he has, you know, he's on a different level than where Jason Kidd has, uh, where Jason Kidd is, um, you know, regardless of what the actual dynamics with Kidd are. Um, but, but I do think that's true. You really have to, you really have to be willing to show a lot of patience and go through a lot of learning curves when you're talking about running complicated read based stuff where you're reacting to what a defense takes away with a bunch of 20, 21 year olds, you know, 23, you know, four or five year guys that haven't really learned the NBA ropes yet. Um, that's tough. It, it definitely is tough, and it's definitely not something that a lot of guys will, you know, risk their job security for, for sure, um, and also just generally have the patience for on top of that. Brett, so you kind of alluded to it. You work in, in player development, and, you know, you've worked with players at kind of every level of basketball from high school to, to the pros. Um you know, we've kind of been hinting, obviously, a lot of what the Bucks changed, I think, uh, in the second half of last season was because of Giannis Adetokounmpo being the focal point of that offense and, and trying to kind of make the most of, of his skill sets. But when you try to put on your, your coach or trainer hat uh, and look at what kind of Giannis has, has done and how he's changed over the last couple of years, um, what do you think has been kind of the – I mean, has there been kind of one really obvious thing that, that changed with him – last season um, and kind of looking forward, um, you know, I think a lot of times when we talk about Giannis, we talk about like, oh, well, he just, you know, he, he's got to work on his shooting, right? And it's like, okay, yeah, I mean, that that, that would be good uh, to become a more consistent shooter. But um, what else do you kind of see with Giannis? I mean, in terms of how he's evolving as a player, that that's most important or, you know, from the opposite side as a coach, like what you would try to focus on with, with Giannis in terms of improving his game and getting the most out of him? Um, well, I mean, I mean, that kid is, uh, I mean, he's special. 
Um, I mean, he, he really is. I mean, it, it does sound simplistic, but he is a, a jump shot away from being one of the scariest offensive threats in the NBA um, that we've maybe seen in a, in, a, in a long time. You know, obviously a LeBron-type player. Um, I mean, because there really isn't a lot that LeBron had at, at 20. I mean, Giannis is 22, right? Um, and so that LeBron had at 22 that Giannis doesn't have, uh, you know, they're, they're both incredibly gifted as passers. They're, you know, they're both great going to the rim. You know, Giannis does it more with his length and his explosiveness and stride length. You know, LeBron is obviously a very powerful player. Um, you know, and their, their Achilles heel was obviously being able to shoot over defenses. But I think the thing with Giannis wasn't, I mean, obviously, you know, over the past couple of years, he's had to, you know, develop his body a little bit. He, he's had to get used to the professional game and the competition level here. Um, but, you know, one thing that we always, uh, you know, we miss with certain players is that, um, they have to be given the freedom to do the job that they can do best. And, and so early on, especially this season, you know, Giannis was just kind of out there because he didn't have the ball in his hands. Um, and, and it's not, again, this may be oversimplistic, but certain guys are better doing certain things without the ball and some guys are better with the ball in their hands. Just a general division. You know, you have a, a penetrating point guard who can't shoot it. Well, you don't want to play him off the basketball, um, because you're not going to get the most out of. Um, you know, you have a, a shooter that doesn't handle it very well. You don't want to run him into, into 80 pick and rolls a game because it's not going to get much for you. Um, and so what Giannis, what really changed for Giannis in particular this season was he was actually just given the keys. Um, you know, he was allowed to run an offense. You know, he had the ball going through him all the time. You know, he was given that freedom um, and that power to to have the freedom to attack, to to play and pick and roll and to do those things and not have to see to anybody else and kind of just be there. And, you know, when you can't shoot it and you don't have the ball in your hands, you know, basically you can be a cutter, uh, you can be an offensive rebounder. Um, you know, that's about the only two things that you can do well. Um, you can kind of rip downhill against soft closeouts and try to make the most of it with defenders that have good angles on you. Um, but when you have the ball in your hands, it just opens up a whole different world. And I think what he showed is that he was ready for the opportunity to, to run the team. Um, the one thing I would say going forward that he would need to improve, um, you know, if he walked into our gym, is he's very instinctual right now with how he makes plays out of pick and roll. Um, you know, he has some incredible passes with some creativity and flair um, that you just don't see. Um, but, you know, when you watch LeBron James and when he plays in pick and roll, he's he's very – and, and Milwaukee, Wisconsin fans will, will get this analogy, very Aaron Rodgers-like in how, how he picks apart a defense. You know, he'll see a, a tag man suck into the roll in a pick and roll, and that ball's out right when he sees it happen, and it's a shot from the corner three. You know, or it triggers ball movement that gets a guy with a clean lane driving to a basket or an open shot after some passes. Um, Giannis is more, you know, oh, this guy's coming in front of me, I'll move the ball now. Instead of really understanding how the defense is rotating, what they're taking away, what his spacing is going to look like, where his reads are, how everything flows, you know, and that and that is the next step. I mean, there's there's guys who can make plays and there's guys that can run a team. And if he's really going to be a, a point guard or, you know, a guy that triggers the majority of their offensive possessions, you know, he's got to really take that next step mentally in terms of learning how to really dictate a defense because what's scary now is in some ways he's not even really sure what he's doing and he flashes some pretty immense potential as a playmaker and a, a point guard, uh, which is really frightening for other teams and really exciting for if you're a fan of the Bucks. Um, 
And then I think the second thing when you look at him is, is he's going to get an under coverage and pick and roll, um, until he proves that he, he can shoot it. Um, and an under coverage is what, you know, when the screen is set, uh, the on ball defender can do one of two things. He can go over the top of the screen and kind of trail behind her. He can kind of shoot under and dare guys that don't shoot it very well, you know, to, to shoot it. And, uh, there are things other than just hitting the jumper that, that players can get to against an under coverage, how they use their body, the angles that they take the finishes that they can get to. Um, and that would be the those two things is a, a better understanding of his alignments and where the ball needs to go out of certain situations and, and practicing those passes, you know, whether it's a pocket pass, a hook pass, skip passes, whatever they are, and then the different ways to get to shots that aren't jumpers against an under coverage. Um, you know, you're learning how to step into the fender, using a shoulder bump, getting to floaters and little running finishes, stuff like that. Those are the two things that next year without a jumper will help him take even a greater step forward. Um, but really, you know, like I said from the beginning, you know, that kid has a chance to be a, a top five force in the league if he keeps his head on straight and works on the right stuff. And coupled with the fact that the Bucks continue to give him the autonomy and the freedom in their offense to, to grow and, and use those tools. How would you grade him as a point guard in that first year? I know Bucks fans have seen Brandon Jennings learn how to try to run a pick and roll. They've watched Brandon Knight learn how to try to pick and to run a pick and roll. Would you say that? I mean, that's kind of his first time getting a lot of pick and roll action. Um, where would you kind of rate where he was for? I'm not gonna say a first time point guard, but kind of a first time pick and roll kind of ball handler. Um, well, I mean, I, I mean, uh, I would just say that, that what he has more than anything is a fantastic field. Um, you know, he grew up in Greece, um, you know, being able to play and pick and roll, uh, you know, and, and, and I think, you know, that's something there's just a natural, uh, feel for the pace and understanding of the, of the play, um, that you get. And Europe is very dominant in terms of all their guys are very skilled and they all can, you know, every guard can run. Um, you know, anybody who watched like Serbia play in the Olympics, um, you know, Tia Dosic obviously steals the show, but all those guards, you know, are very crafty with how they use their body and how they cut back and we call cross training. Um, you know, understanding their shots, using pass fakes to free up the roll passes to the roll man late. Um, and that just comes from stuff of, of they just ran it all the time. And, and so whether they work on it or not, but they've been around it and they've been in that action so much, they're just, they have a great feel. Um, and American players are a little bit different. You know, everybody, you know, has their bones to pick with the, the club circuit, the AAU stuff, um, you know, where it's very much a one-on-one. There's not a lot of team stuff. There's not a lot of execution. So that definitely is lacking in the, from the American side. And so you can tell that Giannis is just further ahead than most young American players are when it comes to that stuff. Um, you know, so for me, it, it was impressive to watch. Um, he's still, you know, I, if you had to give him a, you know, a standard grade, I'd say he was right around a, a B minus to a B. Um, you know, because again, a lot of the stuff, you know, sometimes he'd make a play and you just go, wow. And, and it would just be, you know, he'd, he'd tack the big drop coverage and he'd get up in the air and he wouldn't have a shot and he'd, use his length and wrap it around and hit the roll man. And, you know, you see five foot nine point guards that can make that pass. You can't see, you know, six foot 11 kids do that. Um, you know, and that's the kind of stuff that, you know, it makes you realize like he's got this whole level that he can be really, really good. Um, but then you also have possessions where he just kind of would put his head down against an under coverage and dribble out the clock or force up a bad shot. And, 
Um, you know, and those are the things that, you know, what I was talking about before was just he's got to understand his situations. He's got to know – he's got to have a plan every time that he gets into pick and roll, and he, and he just doesn't have that stuff yet. But where he is at 22 with the natural feel he has, when he gets a little bit more direction, a little bit more volume of experience – um, you know, he's going to he's gonna be a heck of a player doing that stuff. Yeah, and to put a little bit of color to, to what Brett was just mentioning, um, you look at the synergy stats on, on Giannis as a pick-and-roll ball handler, 0.81 points per, per play, which uh, was a little better than Chris Middleton, 0.78, and, and a fair bit better than, Chris, than uh, Michael Carter-Williams at 0.71. Giannis was uh, about 60th percentile in the NBA, so a little bit above average, and obviously that's not factoring in, uh, you know, passes and what he's making, you know, what kind of plays he's making off passes, which I think, um, you know, as you were saying, I think Giannis has, has a lot of potential there. And that's where we'll stop for this episode of Locked on Bucks. Our conversation with Brett will continue this week. It's going to be a three-parter. This is part one of three. So make sure you catch the other two parts later on this week. It'll be right here on brewhoop.com. Or if you've already subscribed to Locked on Bucks, it'll be there for you as well. That's it for part one. Be sure to check out parts two and three. Thanks for listening.